Hello, and welcome to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. I'm your podcast host, William Link. Today's episode is entitled, The New Generation, Locksmithing's Young Guns. Aloha board members, Tyler Thomas, Adrian Holly, along with IAAL Steering Committee member and ACE instructor, Rafael Marte, discuss what it takes to be a successful owner, manager, technician in locksmithing at such a young age and why it's critical to get young men and women involved in the industry and Aloha. So our guests today are Tyler Thomas, Adrian Holly, and Rafael Marte. Let me tell you a little bit about each of these individuals who I have had the pleasure to know and work with over the years, and they're very talented young men. Tyler Thomas, C-J-I-L-C-M-K-A-C-R-L, is the president of Security Engineering Consultants in Atlanta where he and the company specialize in high-security master key systems. He is the current Southeast Director for Aloha Security Professionals Association, a position he has held since 2019, and an active member of the LOC Industry Standards and Training Council, LIST. Tyler is also an active member of the Locksmith Security Association, LSA, of Michigan, and was the first official member of LSA who resided outside of the state of Michigan. Outside of locksmithing, Tyler enjoys gardening and spending time with his wife and their three kids. How are things today, Tyler? Very good. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Our second guest is Rafael Marte, and he is the co-owner and president of operations for the Lock Guys Incorporated, based in Northwest Georgia. Rafael oversees business operations along with business partner Jason Jadon, while active in the field providing locksmith and security services, including automotive, safes, commercial door and hardware installs, high security key systems, access control, CCTV, and alarms. He has over 17 years experience in the industry and a LOA member since 2011, SAVTA member since 2018, and IAIL member since 2018. Raphael has achieved certifications of CRL, CAL, CAI, and CPS, and holds an electrical contractor's license through the state of Georgia. And how are you, Raphael? Doing great. Glad to be here. Thank you. Good. Thank you. And finally, we have Adrian Holly, CRL, LSFDI, and he is a locksmith at Montana State University and owner of Holly Security Consultants in Bozeman, Montana. His work on campus involves electronic access control, hardware installations, preventative maintenance, along with maintaining and designing large master key systems. He's the current Northwest Director for Aloha Security Professionals Association, a position he has held since 2020. Adrian is also an active member of SAFTA and the Northwest Locksmith Association located in Auburn, Washington. He spends his free time camping, hunting, fishing with his wife and their two children. And how are you, Adrian? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, excellent. Well, we have a lot to talk about today, so let's get right to the meat of things. So, gentlemen, in a profession largely made up of baby boomers and greatest generationers, what brought you to locksmithing? In other words, what was the appeal when most in your generation and younger gravitate toward technology-based career paths. Tyler, what do you say? I used to tinker with locks and pick locks when I was about 14, 15. Just kept doing it. Went to college, got a degree in software engineering and graduated right around the Great Recession and realized I wasn't going to be able to get a job there. So I thought, well, I've always enjoyed this. Let me see if I can find an apprenticeship. Found one and been with it ever since. Very good. Raphael? My uncle was an immigrant from the Dominican Republic in the 80s, and I actually knew about locksmithing through him because he became a locksmith, became very successful at it, so I knew that it could be a lucrative career path. But the thing that actually drove me to that mostly was I actually wanted to become a teacher. I was starting to go to college, mm -hmm. uh, but couldn't really afford to work and go to school, both fiscally and mentally. I mean, it was just too much. Right. So at that point, I made a decision that I just needed to go find a company that I can build with and get some um, on-the-job training. 
and, and that's what I did. I spent 13 years with a company who invested a lot in me and was able to get the training that I needed and the experience working my way up to vice president of license operations for them. So that definitely experience at work got me to where I am today. Very good. Adrian, what about you? Well, I didn't really know I wanted to be a locksmith until much later in my <laughs> life. I started out in the masonry industry. I did commercial masonry for a number of years, did residential masonry, started to have children and wanted to be closer to home and something that was less physically demanding than masonry and ended up at the university and they put together uh, an apprenticeship program uh, and sent me to the Aloha five-day training. From there, just stuck with it and have found myself deeply involved with Aloha and and now here at the university. I've started my own business in the meantime. So a little bit of a indirect career path. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, now that you gentlemen explained that, let me ask you, how important do you feel it is to find ways to get Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z interested in locksmithing? And why do you feel that way? Now, Tyler, if you could speak from a young business executive standpoint, and Adrian from an institutional locksmithing view, and Raphael from the automotive side of the business. Tyler? Well, it's important because if, if you don't have anybody to do the work for your business, you're either going to have to do it all yourself, you're going to burn out, mm -hmm. uh, or you're just going to have to downsize. 10, 15 years ago, it seemed like there was such a large talent pool that hardly anybody offered apprentice programs or apprentice positions. Now it seems like you look on job boards across various markets and the shortage of labor has kind of forced business owners' hands where they're now having to offer it. So I, I think that's pretty good going forward is that that's going to entice people, Gen Z, millennials, whatever, that they can get started without having any sort of background as long as they're willing to learn. Sure. I'm optimistic in that regard. Very good. Adrian? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Tyler. It's, it's very important to find folks to get into this trade and come in behind those folks that are you know, moving out and retiring. Uh, I think here at an, at an institution at the university level, is a great opportunity. The number of, of institutions around this country and getting young folks to maybe get a different path to a, a career for themselves here at the institution. You know, you could even take classes and, and get a business degree while you're learning how to be a locksmith and have the university help you with that. Finding folks that, like Tyler said, that want to stick with it and learn is, is very, very important. I think in the past, folks have looked at an institution uh, as an institutional locksmith uh, as a place to retire. And mm -hmm. that certainly is a one way to look at it. But I think there's a great opportunity for the younger generation to step into this role as well. Excellent. Raphael, from an automotive side, on the automotive uh, side, I mean, I'm going to agree with both uh, Tyler and Adrian. I mean, there, there is definitely a workforce shortage overall in, in a lot of the things, uh, you know, especially I would say with institutional. And uh, we see that a lot with electronic security. Uh, with automotive, that has not been so much the case, uh, but it depends on how you look at it. There's a couple of different things with that, right? So the automotive sector of the locksmithing world is is very saturated. You have a lot of people that just kind of want to jump into it and they get into it and, and it's pretty easy for them to start making keys, right? They might not be great at it, but can jump into the work by themselves pretty quickly. However, with the advancement of all the technology for making these automotive keys, you know, you have the acceleration of people needing to understand, you know, EEPROM work and actually doing, you know, a microelectronics. The younger generation is more prepared for that, you know, that level of acceleration, how fast things are changing with all these systems. So getting the younger people that may, uh, some of them may, may, may already be working on hardware, and some of them might just be really good at software and coding. Somebody with that kind of knowledge and can really, if they apply themselves, can really push forward because as the market gets saturated, all the high-hanging fruit, which is going to be all that complicated work, is going to be there. And 
you know, my partner, Jason, um, he's, he's, he's one of the best in the country at it. And, you know, we get referrals from overseas sometimes, you know, when it comes to that stuff. So, you know, having, having the younger guys, I can actually understand that a little bit better. You can come in and sit on a bench, you know, and, and extract information from a computer chip, write it to a key and just understand that process A to Z uh, is very beneficial to, to this business. Anyone that's, you know, should get into this business because at 40 years old, you're going to be considered a young gun. So, you know, it's definitely something nice. Great. Great. Very good. We had mentioned the work shortage, and I know that's one issue here, but for the new owner or manager in the industry listening here, what are a few of the pitfalls they may encounter? Well, such as hiring, wages, incentives, insurance. Let's start with Tyler again. Well, definitely wages. If, if you've got a very limited talent pool and same size job market or maybe growing because uh, the economy is still doing fairly well for locksmiths, uh, you're going to have to pay more out of the gate to get somebody or at least to entice them into talking to you. Uh, that's going to cut into your overhead, uh, your obligations monthly. So it's it's not fun. It's not in a good spot. Or I'm As a business owner, I'm not in a good spot right now because I really want to hire, but uh, mm-hmm. the people that I've talked to they want higher than what traditionally we've ever paid. So we're kind of having to acquiesce to that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's good for employees is that they have the ability now to market themselves and earn more for themselves and their family. So you can't blame them, but it's just something you have to adjust to. You got to make sure your cash flows there. They're counting on you once you employ them or make them an offer that, you know, you can satisfy your end of the agreement and, keep the money coming in and the paychecks flowing. Right. Do you have any special incentives that you have put together for your possible new employees? Well, we cover a low of memberships included, of course, anytime they want to go uh, when the schedule permits, we take care of all the classes, everything like that, continuing education. And these webinars have been great because we've actually sent a few of our guys to, to learn online from the right. comfort of their home. And, and that's really helped because it doesn't take them off the road, out of the shop, out mm-hmm. of town. So that, that's amazing. And then things like that, we do um, kind of semi-annual bonuses, Christmas, end of fiscal year, which is actually tomorrow for us. It'll be the start of 53 years. Just things like that can't compete as far as benefits, full coverage, health care, things like that. So we try to make up with it by paying them more than what they would get elsewhere that may have, you know, what they call the golden handcuffs, which are great benefits. Mm-hmm. Very good. And Adrian, what are some of the challenges you see for the new business owners? Yeah. Cost of living is, is high and folks are, folks are wanting more, more money. I think that here, you know, at, at the university, we're actually in the process of, of recruiting uh, a new locksmith. So I'm you know, curious to see uh, who's going to apply, uh, if there's anybody in the area. Yeah, again, the, the, like I said, the, the cost of living here in Bozeman is just exceptionally high and wages are pretty low. So mm-hmm. pay is hard. You know, the motivation to, because there are high paying jobs, as we refer to it here at the university downtown, commercial guys can, can get out there and hustle. But you know, at the university, we do have great benefits. Your schedule is laid out Monday through Friday right. that way. I think that finding folks that, that have put in the time to, to learn the trade is difficult. Here in Montana, I mean, it's a pretty rural part of the country. So we don't have a large population base to, to pull on. Well, if you get someone in, Adrian, who has minimal skills but is interested, are you offering any kind of training? For them? Absolutely. Yeah. That's part of our preferred qualifications would be third-party credentialing, such as ALOA's PRP certifications. A part of our package here at the universities, we do pay for training. When it comes through the state, we send folks to it. We do send our techs to the ALOA conventions, you know, the online training uh, webinars, like Tyler was mentioning. You know, that's all a part of it. The universe, that's Again, one of the great benefits of, of being at an institution sure. is they really like to pay for continuing ed. 
whether that be directly related to the locksmith industry or even a, a degree from the university. We really like to see folks expand their knowledge base. Yeah, that's definitely one of the one of the big benefits of, yeah. of being at the institution for sure. And that would be a great incentive for somebody who has just started possibly a career path wanting a degree it's right there in front of them so that is a, a good uh, option for them very Indeed. good very good um Raphael, what obstacles do you see in bringing in new talent into the automotive area you know you guys already kind of touched on some of those points it's definitely an employee's market when you're talking about you know wages um but you know more importantly than that i mean the person has to be able to afford to work somewhere Right. Uh, and, you know, with the cost of living, you know, as was mentioned, uh, we have to balance that out. Um, you, know, just kind of, you know, yeah, I just kind of share with you guys some of the things that we've done. Um, of course, you know, with, with autom- a lot, most of our work is still automotive. So don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we have, uh, I would say, 80 percent of our you know, 70 to 80 percent of all of our uh, revenues are still coming from the automotive sector. Uh, so even though we, we even though we do some of those other things that I mentioned, which is still mostly me, most of our guys that we hire, we throw them on the road to kind of just meet that demand. And commissions has worked great to really motivate individuals, right, to keep them pushing and hustling and, and, and you know, making uh, great money. However, sometimes that can be a little bit difficult for the individual to manage, right, because you have paychecks mm-hmm. that are high, you have paychecks that are low. And, you know, even around Christmas, I mean, sometimes a lot of jobs stop coming in, right? So at the time that where they're going to probably spend a little bit more money, they have less to take home. So one of the things that, that we do with that is um, we, we pay commissions, we come up with a commission rate, uh, but I also will guarantee them a minimum, right? To kind of say, hey, no matter what, as if you work all your days, you show up, you know, this is, uh, this is what you're going to take home. Uh, right. But if you, you know, push it, right, and do extra you know, extra work, uh, you know, that's another thing, you know, we were on call at nights, you know, weekends, right, when the shop is closed. So we actually offer additional commissions, you know, for going out after work and doing that so they can supplement their income. And that makes it to where, you know, guys would actually want to work more at night rather than not, right, which some of the younger individuals are, they're not from that school. I mean, when I started this, we used to work six days on, uh, on call shifts, 24 hours, that's definitely a young man's game to be able to do that. People are less willing to do something like that at this point. You know, yeah, I mean, we kind of incentivize, you know, those things as well. We, we do give a quarterly bonus as well based on uh, how well they, they manage other things aside from just going out there and making money, right? Because you'll have a guy who can come in, right, and he's really great with his hands and he's a great technician, but he might not be that organized with his invoices and data entry. Um, keeping, you know, the van organized and, and all the equipment that, you, you know, in, in the van and inventory. So that actually becomes part of like a scorecard where we would say, hey, if, you know, based on, you know, what your paychecks have been, this is 100% of what you would get for your bonus. But based on any infractions that you've had with the van not being organized, being dirty or, you know, equipment not being, being in disarray, tardiness, you know, the absences, all those things can actually minimize that potential for that bonus. So again, that also incentivizes them to, to maintain, uh, you know, orderliness, you know, while they're doing their, their everyday tasks. We, we do holiday pay where they can, uh, they, they actually make extra money as well, right? The shop is closed, they're already getting extra commissions, but we charge a little bit more for the customer for, you know, for holiday services. And, you know, a good chunk of that money would actually go straight to that employee as well. So again, it just makes them feel a little bit better about, hey, everybody else is off, I'm working, but you know what, I'm making a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things that we've done in our business that have proven to be effective, not just giving away the bank, right, but also um, making it so that they can make a little bit more money if they, if they show up. Right. You know, a lot of the, and then we, yeah, we do training, right? I, I, I do most of the training myself with them you know, in the field, right? I mean, mostly everybody that I meet says, you know, I, I got to see it. I got to have it in my hands, right? It's all about feeling touch, visually, visually, you know, experiencing the whole uh, repair process or install, whatever it is that we're talking about. So I, you know, I tell them, you know, once you, once you've done this enough, right. And uh, you know what you're doing, you, you have an educate, you have a, a career for the rest of your life. 
you know, so this is not just a job, it's a career path. And um, I'm very, um, very selective on who I will hire. And instead of trying to sell the job, I would actually try to talk people out of it. Because the way I see it is if I can give you all the bad stuff about this job, which is very difficult to learn, uh, a lot of uh, multitasking, takes a lot of brain power. If I can, if I, if I can talk you out of that, then I probably saved myself, right? Um, all the training that I was going to invest into that individual. Because truth is, I mean, when somebody comes in, it takes about six months to a year for you to really start seeing that person flourish. So if they're only there for four months, right, and all we did was train them, we didn't actually see a return on that investment. Uh, so we, we want to make sure that the person is going to be passionate and this is something that, you know, they want the challenge, uh, they want the career path. You know, it's not just giving you fish, we're teaching you how to fish here. Right. And I and I and I share my personal experience, right? Of how to, you know, where I got to or how I got to where I am today as a business owner. Um, and also a trainer, had all these opportunities, you know, that came along the way. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of what we do here. You know, some of the big pitfalls with that, I mean, I would just say that, you know, scaling a business in this way can be a little difficult to manage. Uh, so, you know, really just doing your numbers and making sure that the profit margins are there. Uh, and, and making sure that, you know, you're going to have a little bit extra so that way you can continue to reinvest in the business. Because if you don't, you're going to you're not going to have the right equipment. You're not going to have the right people. You're, you're going to make your customers upset. So uh, I, I heard um, I don't know if it was Tyler or Adrian earlier, but mentioned about how you can burn yourself out trying to do all the work, you know, or you just really need to downsize. Right. Um, and I'm always a forward thinking. I, I, I need to, you know, kind of see growth and see things growing. So that way I can feel like I'm moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and just one last thing. I mean, when, when it comes to you know employees and, and benefits, right, benefits are there to help them maintain a certain quality of life, like healthcare, right? Somebody's sick, you know, and they can't pay for the hospital bills is very difficult to do. Um, we haven't uh, found something that's really been helpful with, with healthcare uh, for us to give our, our employees. But one of the things that I've done for them, I mean, is I, I, what I tell them is, look, if, if you show up and you give 100 percent, I'm going to give you 100 percent. And there's always hardship in life. You know, there's going to be sickness. There's going to be death in the families. There's going to be and not just hardship. There's going to be times where people need to you know, go to an event with their family, you know, for their kids or whatnot. Uh, and I kind I make sure that if you know I get a, a heads up, I can schedule that for them. I'm pretty good at making sure that they they have those times off. But um, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a, an employee where his uh, his wife died from COVID, and I, I told him, you know what? I'm when you were here, you know, I know you're going to be in a rough one, but while you were here, you know, you you were present, you were always working. You know, I'm going to continue to pay you while, while you're dealing with this. You know, and I and I paid him for a month for until he came back. Those are the benefits that, I, as a small company, right, that I can mm-hmm. really offer that maybe most other companies, uh, I mean, they might call it something else, you know, in a corporate structure, right? But uh, I think it's more personal in a, in a small company scenario where you can say, hey, you know, I really got your back there. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of like how our company is, uh, is structured, you know, around the employee and what we offer them. Well, it's interesting, Raphael, you sort of blended right into the next topic that I wanted to ask you all. Since all three of you represent different aspects of the industry, what would you each say would be the pros and cons to focusing on one genre of the business, such as automotive or access control? Uh, Raphael, let, let's start with you. You were on a roll there as you are involved heavily in automotive and the new International Association of Automotive Locksmiths. Let's start with you and then we'll go to Adrian and Tyler. You know, our company, you know, is, is mostly automotive, but before, prior to me, you know, partnering with Jason, uh, it was like 97% automotive, uh, very little residential, very little commercial, uh, no safes or anything like that. So that's, that's good. Um, I think at that point, um, you know, it was maybe uh, uh, my partner, you know, Jason, maybe had two employees. Right. And focusing on that aspect of the business was great to get things going, you know, because there's uh, there's a lot of equipment costs in, in automotive in the automotive world. There, there's no one programmer that's going to do every vehicle. And, you know, the funny thing is you can have a year making model where right, well, one programmer worked with that vehicle. 
the next day you go out to the same year making model and you take the same programmer and this doesn't work, right? For whatever reason, there's something different about that vehicle. Um, so you have to have two or three or four different programmers to do that. And, you know, there's token costs and sure. software subscriptions, renewals, right? Um, so there, there's a lot of costs that comes into, uh, into the equipment. On, on top of that, all the inventory that you have to keep for automotive. You, you have, uh, you know, remotes, you know, proximity keys for push to start buttons. Uh, you know, you have to have all these different chips, all these blanks. Right. So there's a lot of overhead, uh, which is why a lot of mobile locksmiths just prefer to just be mobile and not have a shop. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll hear that over and over. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the pros of, of, of sticking to that. Uh, one of the, the cons, though, I would say is, you know, when you have a volatile economy, right, where, you know, you don't know, sometimes things slow down, they pick up, you know, right, and you have you have to be able to pivot, and we've actually done that very well. We we, we haven't skipped a beat. I think we've had a couple of slow months here and there uh, when, when there was a shutdown, but for the most part, right, we, we kind of just change over. I mean, and you know, we might have a, a large access control job. You know, that actually worked out that way when when there was a shutdown. You know, we had sold like a, you know forty thousand dollar access control job, so we were able to devote a lot of time to that while you know still continuing the, the business. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why it's good to have all these different things. It's like, there's always something biting, right? I mean, it's, if it's not the, you know, the, the vehicles at one point, it can be, you know, the safes, you know, we have a run with that. And then you have, you know, commercial. I mean, I, I would, you know, I started installing commercial storefront doors as well. And that, that seems to also be very, uh, you know, the profit margin is pretty good with that as well. You know, with automotive, I mean, like I said earlier, right, the market has really been become saturated. I mean, you even have to where, you know, you have a lot of competition, but at, even at a, at a point here now, what we're seeing is distributors, right, that are selling us the stuff starting to compete with us, right, where they're, you know, reaching out to our customers and saying, hey, you don't have to get to the locksmith. We'll train you and we'll give you the programmer for, you know, you'll lease it for this much and we'll give you your employee support. So it's, it's, it's a very cutthroat business, you know, is what we're saying in the automotive world. So, you know, you kind of don't want to just leave all those ba- eggs in one basket, right? Because uh, every automotive company out there is going to have big accounts that they focus a lot of their efforts on. It could be an auction, uh, you know, or it can be, you know, a couple of car lots here and there, dealerships. But, you know, there could be a change in management. They could be companies that get sold out or, or you know, somebody comes and tries to take that account. So, you know, you go from, you know, having a lot of business from one customer one day to the next. It's like, hey, they stopped calling. What happened? Oh, well, they just got bought out and, you know, they have their own company. So now we don't have that account anymore. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely having, you know, different options or different services you can use or you can do for your customers is great. Because, yeah, exactly. Like those big accounts, right, they, they might also want a safe service, right, or right. they might also want cameras installed which has happened, right? So now you're giving multiple services to your customers and that makes it even more valuable because they don't have to find all these different vendors. You're like the one stop for all their security needs pretty much. So that, that works out well as well. I'm sorry. I was, I'm sorry. I'm saying if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, one thing to do is make sure that you're flexible so that even though you are specific to one genre, you have the ability to do other things should they be necessary. Yes, well said. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Very good. All right. Well, well, thank you. Great, great ideas there. Let's see, Adrian. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> to piggyback on what Ralphie was saying there is that having a lot of uh, knowledge uh, to diversify yourself is, is great. That's, that's definitely something that, you, that you're going to want to have in, in again, as I had mentioned earlier in the downtown realm, uh, you know, as a commercial locksmith, I think that's the one big difference with an institutional locksmith, you know, some of the cons there are going to be that there's a, a lack of diversity in the scenarios that we're going to face we have a lot of control over the hardware installed, the key systems that we use and and how the buildings are set up. So, you know, when we show up to face uh, a problem, most of the times 
uh, that we, we already know the fix before we even get there. Um, mm -hmm. it, that's kind of a pro and a, and a con uh, all, all in the same, right? There's, we're, we're experts in certain lines of hardware. We're experts in certain access control systems. You know, our, our, uh, our access control system you know, is at this, you know, really large uh, system, but it's the only one we use. Uh, so we know uh, what, what we're getting into and, and how to do it. You know, so there's, I think one of the, one of the cons to, to being at an institution would be uh, the potential to feel like you're, you're limited in your career advancement. You're the locksmith at the university, you're locksmith at the hospital or or, you know, some other institution, it's a pretty stagnant work environment per se. But that's also, again, one of the, the pros uh, of the position is you're a Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5 employee or 7 to, 7 to 4. We do on-call work. I'm, I'm on call 24-7, but I'm not obligated to take the call. So... If I can't respond, I don't have, you know, I don't have to pick up the phone, but if I do pick up the phone, uh, they, they make it worth my while. And again, I know what I'm walking into. Oh, it's this building, this door. That's been a problem door for years. I can take care of the problem pretty quick. So, you know, again, I, I think that the, the institution as, as a whole is pretty, pretty niche area, just, you know, like automotive would be. Um, and like Raphael was saying, you know, you really know that stuff in and out. And the, the better you are at it, the easier it is when you, when you show up. But what a, what a large, you know, area that, that he has to cover um, and his techs have to cover in terms of new things coming on. Whereas here at the university, we're really driven by policy and procedure, um, right? right? That's well, we've done it this way for 128 years. Okay. So it's, it's difficult to get new things into the institution when the latest and greatest comes out. It's difficult. But again, policy and procedure also helps with a lot of the decisions that come up when uh, somebody new comes on the campus and they say, well, we want to do this. Yeah, it is possible, but we don't, we're not going to do that here at the university because of, of these things. And you know, policy dictates that policy dictates that we always have mechanical bypass, mm -hmm. right? So we'll put electronic uh, access control on your door. We'll put standalone access control on your door, but it has to be one of these two or three options and it has to have a key um, because our police department needs to be able to get in uh, in case of emergency, electricians, plumbers, refrigeration techs, we, we run a whole bunch of stuff on steam here. So, you know, getting our, our heat plant folks in uh, at all hours is really important. And we're leveraging access, electronic access control to get into places, but that stuff doesn't always work. And sometimes it's, um, it's necessary to, to use a mechanical key. So, yeah, I, I think, Again, for, for being here at, at an institution, uh, there's, there's a lot of great things about not knowing all of those other things. But it's also, for me, uh, as somebody who, who thrives on, on knowledge and, and knowing how things work, I think there's, a, you know, there's, there's this, this desire to, to learn more. The university certainly uh, encourages that and, and allows that. But in my day-to-day -day work, it's not, not too many surprises for me. Right. Adrian, to that point about learning, I have a question for you. Many universities and colleges, let's say, for example, have one keying system. Let's just say it's Sargent, for example. They become the experts, as you've said, on that keying system. Their training, their knowledge there, it's just perfect. Now, do you support your locksmiths? going out and learning about other keying systems in the event that you may change that keying system down the road. So many universities don't do that. 
And I'm thinking, well, why not prepare for other possibilities down the road and open the horizons and things that might even gel together? What do you think? Absolutely. I can certainly see both sides of that conversation. I could see how the administration would say, well, there's absolutely no reason for you to go learn Mm -hmm. uh, about this um, competitor. But as a, as a locksmith, I can see that as a a great benefit to the, just in case here at our institution, we run, gosh, five different key systems, different manufacturers. And we also deal with residence halls and family graduate housing. So we have apartments, uh, we have townhouses, single family homes, stuff like that. So we actually do some residential and those are, you know, legacy systems, right. Uh, That at some point we're going to change. And in the security world, especially when you start involving risk management and the police department, you know, here, here on campus, there is some discussion about not running everything on one key system. Exactly. Um, like they'd like to see other key systems. So yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Can you get the administration on board to say, let's learn, even mm-hmm. if we don't use it? Exactly. And that's what Aloha is great at, training in all sorts of areas where an institutional locksmith or any locksmith could be sent to be trained in all sorts of things at a reasonable cost. Very good. Tyler, what do you think? Well, we're we're odd ducks, so <laughs> I, I don't know how much of what our pros and cons are uh, apply to everybody else since we're just mainly master key systems. I guess the, the pros are is that we deal with the same people every day, so we don't get walk-in business. We're just talking to the same property managers and chief engineers. Mm-hmm. So it, they learn the process, and you can train them very well to the point where they're using the right terminology. The problem is, is when they have build-outs in their space, and you have to deal with architects or general contractors. And we take for granted terminology, but, I mean, it seems like every project we're involved with, it's everything's a sub-master key. It's not the grand master key. Mm-hmm. And you have to work with them on that because it can get lost in translation. And if so, tremendous liability if something goes wrong. So you have to really cover your bases and, and take the time to talk everything out, make sure they understand. Sometimes if a mistake is made, you can go back and change it. But if not, you may have to start over from scratch, you know, a, a brand new building, for example. So that liability, that's the biggest stressful part with what we do and, I guess the biggest con, more pros is that it's all pretty much class A real estate, air conditioning, not outside in the elements, not out in the truck. So that that's pretty nice. Very rarely have to do on-call or emergency services because they have staff to do that, engineers that can handle it. Mm-hmm. it it's a really easy job, very easy on the body. You're you know, we don't deal with door closers, exit devices, anything like that, just fumbling with little cylinders and cores. So it, it's great there. I love it. So I, I, I guess I can keep doing it 40, 50 years down the road. But I, I can't imagine if I was still out in a truck. And I rem- remember those days of plate and safes across the yard when it was 100 degrees and 60% humidity. I don't know how much longer I could have done that. <laughs> um, but this this is definitely easier on the body. And, and uh yeah, I mean, that's why Breck was still doing it when he was in his 80s. So I guess it works. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, here's something we already touched on a bit. How important is continuing education and certification in the industry? Uh, Raphael, let's start with you. Yeah, so, I mean, it's uh, it's something that really is going to help set yourself aside, right? Uh, I believe... And when individuals uh, are edu- they're educated on or customers are educated on, you know, what these things mean, you know, they know that you've invested, you know, into your, into your training, into your craft, right? And that you're not just, you know, somebody who, or, or that, or, you know, I have a guy that can just come fix something, right? I mean, you know, our, our pricing has to be justified, right? Um, and, you know, the, the, all the training that goes into it and all the certifications and everything, that's, 
uh, that's why we, we charge what we charge, right? Uh, and and mm -hmm. that's something that I can use to justify, you know, again, you know, why our, our cost is what it is. And you want to give your customer confidence, right? I mean, you know, you're walking into a, you know, if you're out in the field, right, and you're going into somebody's home, uh, it's very nice, you know, if you have a badge on with your name, right, that shows that you're part of an association, that you've, uh, that you've gotten uh, accreditations that you, uh, to do what you're doing. Right. So that, you know, that, that way they don't feel a little bit iffy about it. Right. I mean, you know, with my background or sometimes, you know, I, I'm, I'm originally from New York. And you know, if I go out and I open a car real quick, right, I mean, you know, the, the joke I always get is so, so where'd you learn how to do this? Right. From New York, you know, I used to steal cars or something. Right? And, <laughs> well, I don't take any offense to it, really. I, you know, I'm just like, hey, you know, but yeah, I, I tell them, hey, you know, I've, yeah, I've go, I go, I've, I've been trained, you know, on the job training and, I've been, you know, to numerous, uh, you know, conventions and, you know, attended a lot of seminars and that's where all the real training comes about. Right. And that's how I get all these certifications, um, you know, so that's, um, you know, for the customer, I think that has, that holds a lot of value, you know, for our peers. Right. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it really helps, you know, to, to network. Right. I mean, I've been going to a convention since 2011 and, you know, Bill, I've had the pleasure of, you know, taking your classes. And as a matter of fact, I even called you from, for some support, you know, long ago. So um, having that available, I mean, it's, you can't put, you know, you couldn't put a price on that. I mean, Cause if you don't have those things, what you have to do, how you have to try to figure things out on your own is, uh, is, is going to be a lot more, you know, difficult. And I, I know there's a lot of stuff in Google, but yeah, you can very easily, be taken to the in the wrong path, right? Trying to, you know, just watch random things on on the internet, um, you know. But also, you know, acknowledgement from your peers, right? Knowing, you know, hey, you know, this guy's done this, this guy's done that, and you know, he's been around. And uh, I think that's great because it's it's going to open more and more opportunities, right? You know, they reached out to me when they wanted to do the um, the IAAL for the automotive locksmith, uh, you know, subdivision. Uh, which was, you know, an honor for me. And, and I actually became an instructor right after, you know, going to numerous classes. And I believe those things are going to continue to, you know, open up more, you know, even more opportunities. I mean, one day I'll, I'll retire, but I don't want to stop working. And I see that a lot of uh, gentlemen that are part of the association that are still, you know, instructors, you know, that's their second career or third or fourth, right? So it's also another thing that we can kind of fall back on. Uh, so, you know, all those reasons, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a great thing, you know, to continue to reinvest and uh, keep, you know, certifications and, and be active in the organizations. Good. Thank you. Well, Tyler. Yeah, what Raphael said, as far as networking, for sure, that comes to mind first. I've met some of the closest friends I've got, uh, not just relegated to the industry, but just in life general through these classes. Uh, people I talk to almost every day, not necessarily about locksmithing, but uh, you can't beat networking. I, I think, and you would know this probably better than a lot of people, Bill, Clear Star, Locksmith Nation, stuff like that. People that work by themselves or they're the only operator of the company, we, we tend to get in a sort of bubble where the way we do it is the only way to do it. And yes. just because it works doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way or the right way. So when you go to these classes, you can get new perspectives and it can kind of refresh your way of thinking. So yeah, it's, it's good to learn the ABCs of how to do, you know, small format, high security, whatever it may be, but it's, it's equally important to learn how someone else approaches it because that mm -hmm. can open your mind to new things that you never thought before. So it, you know, the, the classes are excellent ways to be humble about yourself and, and learn how other people approach it because, you know, I've, I've been in your classes and I've been in other people's classes where I thought I knew the best way to do it. And then you learn something else from a teacher or a person sitting next to you that does something and you're, it, you know, blows your mind and, right. and you just, you just learn something totally new. So uh, continuing education classes, all that's very important, but more so than just learning the nuts and bolts of it. Right. I think learning perspective, meeting people, having somebody you can call, talk to. It's just, it's, it's more than what you would think. Yes. And I, sometimes I call that learning how to think outside of the box because you may have a problem in your shop 
and thinking, well, how am I going to handle this? And if you've learned other techniques and you could think a different way, even temporarily, sometimes that will work. Yeah, you, you don't you don't want to get stagnant in your thinking. And it, it always helps to just talk to other people, bounce ideas off and get their approach to things. I, one of my good friends, Avi Schink up in New York, uh, he calls all the time and we bounce ideas off of each other and, and you know, he'll share what he did either in a keynotes article or on clear star locksmith nation. And it's like, mm-hmm. this guy's on a different wavelength. How did he think to do that? <laughs> but it, it's great to see his, his end product because it, it inspires me and kind of gives me an idea of, of other things I could accomplish. Sure. Very good. Adrian. Both Tyler and Raphael. I mean, they touched on, they touched on the points, right? I mean, continuing education, uh, is the backbone of, of, of what we, what we do. There's always something new to learn. Um, even if you think you're an expert and, and beyond that, uh, as, as Tyler was touching on, uh, there, not only are you learning something uh, about a product or an installation or a technique, but you're meeting other, uh, other like-minded individuals that you can, uh, connect with later, and I think that's a you know one of the, one of the unspoken benefits of of taking a, a class um, and continuing your education is you're finding somebody else like Tyler said that may come at it a different way, and you know what do you know that is uh, something you never thought of, and then like Rafael was saying, you know it, it happens a lot here. Um, I always joke with, with folks on campus that I'm a, a state-sponsored burglar uh, because they're just surprised that, that we can do some of these things and, and wonder how we got into it. And they're surprised that there are classes that you can take and there's an organization and um, that it's not just something that uh, I, I tinkered around with. Um, you know, I'm actually certified uh, in, in a lot of these things. It's a good icebreaker. I think it's, uh, it's a great... It, it's probably one of the things that, that we need to do more as an industry is educate our customers to what these certifications mean um, and the work that goes into it. You know, it's a, it's a very, very important part uh, of, of our business. Hey guys, as a follow-up to that, I just thought of this. What would, would you be more likely to hire someone or feel more confident working with someone that has achieved certifications for their knowledge and training. Tyler? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And if, if they got a CPL or a CML, yes, because I'm going to pick their brain to figure out what the best electives to take are. <laughs> good, uh, res- the good response, yes. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. If, if, they've got, if they've taken the time to get certified, that means that they're serious about advancing their career. And I've got all the time of the day for people like that. Good, good. Adrian, what do you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler hit it right on the head there. Anybody that's that's taken the time to 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 take that education and, and get certified is worth worth their weight in gold. Cool, Raphael. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, if, if they have experience, right? That's that's good, right? But we don't know what kind of experience they have, right? We don't know what. Uh, how they might do things, right? They might be, you know, the guys that are kind of, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, are doing hack jobs. Right, um, right. You know, shooting down cylinders, you know, instead of putting the right pins or, you know, not using the right, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? Like um, uh, specifications for painting, that sort of thing, right? So, right. Or, or their, their knowledge is from YouTube only. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, when somebody tells you they have experience, you know, I'm kind of weary because I'm like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. am I going to have to break a bunch of bad habits or does this person actually know what they're doing? And having that certification is going to let us know, okay, yeah, this guy is, this guy is on point and I'm going to pay him more, you know, or her more, you know, whoever it is, I'm going to pay them more because at that point I don't have to invest in that training. I can get get a return quicker, you know, on, on that, that person, you know, coming to the company and, all the, all the costs associated with employment. So definitely is a, is a great thing to have uh, when you're out there looking for a job. Good, good, good answers. So guys, what are your thoughts on licensing in our industry? And does licensing elevate the public opinion of our trade or is it a non-factor? 
Adrian? Yeah, Bill, this is, uh, I mean, this is kind of a slippery slope. Uh, it's, it's, yep. it's a difficult, it's a difficult subject. I, I know in the industry because the, you know, the, the business owner, the legitimate business owner puts effort and money into getting licensed and then gets dinged uh, for something silly. And these fly-by-nighters come in and, and just wreck shop. And, you know, there's, there's no teeth in, in, the, um, in the regulation. Um, and, and regulating businesses is, is difficult when you start talking about legislation and, and whatnot. That's that's a hard one to to really step on one side or the other of that discussion. It's it's an elaborate thing, and it's probably a whole podcast can be de- devoted just to the pros and cons of licensing. But we'll just weed it down now to see what your basic thoughts are. Rocky, yeah. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go, go sorry. Ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say. I, I think it's. Uh, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to take a, a big stance. I think it's a good. I, I think it's a good thing, but it's a difficult procedure to navigate once again, once you start talking about, you know, the famous words up here in Montana are, you know, hey, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You know, that's a, <laughs> I think it's a good thing, but there's definitely some more conversations. A, a good podcast would would cover it. I guess it has to be administrate, administrated properly. And that's one of the issues. Right? Correct. Right. Raphael? That's definitely the elephant in the room, right? Um, I, I agree with the idea for sure, right? We, we, I mean, in, in Florida, you can't have a life landscape uh, company right, to cut grass without a license, right? But you can go out and, and open people's businesses and houses without a key, without a license, right? And right. It, you know, there, there's something wrong with that, right? I mean, I think we can all kind of agree, you know, if you need a license for something like that, why wouldn't you need a license for something like this? But the execution of it, I don't think I've heard of a great, you know, jurisdiction that's, that's really done what's needed to be done with that. Uh, because policing that, it, I don't think that, you know, the, the, the work for the, uh, the manpower is there to police something like that. And, uh, you know, to touch on a point that was made, er, you know, that was just made was when, when it came down to it, the only individuals that got policed, like I can tell you, I've heard about this in, uh, in Texas right, with their with their licensing is that the only people that are getting infractions and getting policed are the ones that actually did what they, you know, what they were supposed to do and get their license. You know, they, I've, I've heard where they've called on uh, another locksmith who they knew wasn't licensing, right, because they're supposed to be able to say, hey, you know, I saw this guy, he's, he did, he's doing his work or, you know, and, and he doesn't have a license. And uh, what will happen is they'll, they'll be the ones that are going to get, uh, get uh, what they call an audit. They're the ones that end up getting audited. So you get punished for trying to also do the right thing, right? Um, you know, so it's, 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 very, it's a very uh, complex thing. I don't, I don't know how effective it's going to be done at the, uh, at the state, you know, or county levels, that sort of thing. I mean, I'll tell you this, so with the automotive world, right, I mean, what you have is a, is a, uh, a very powerful and big uh, underworld organization, right, that's, that's doing a, a lot of what you call scam work, right? I mean, there's, there's been um, uh, news stations that have done, you know, stings on this sort of thing and done big investigations where, you know, the Russian mob is involved, you know, Israeli mobs are involved, that sort of thing. Uh, where you have, you know, they, they advertise on Google and all these things that it's 20 bucks, right? And, you know, 24-hour lock, if you click on that, they send some guy, you know, 20 bucks is now $500, and they got to get it from this old lady, right? Um, and, and, you know, those guys are imposters. I mean, they're not even, I wouldn't even say scammers. I mean, imposters are a better word. They're not, they, they show up, drill a lot, tell them it's high security, right? So there's definitely a big problem with, with not having the right people doing this kind of work. Um, but it looks like doing it at the licensing level with state is just, it's just a too big of an issue. Um, I would think that if somehow they can, you know, someone can prevent from all those ads to be posted on Google, right, that that would be way more effective into stopping those individuals to get to, to those customers, right? Because you have supposedly verified, com- Google verified companies, which 
we're one of them and I've seen the process, right? One of the things is that you have to show a storefront and that sort of thing. And there are Google verified, but they don't even have a storefront. So there's there's something wrong even with, with the technology as far as like having your ads posting and, and your, your name coming up, you know, when customers are doing searches. Um, so, you know, overall, right, I, I do think that there should be something that sets that aside. What we've done so far, though, I, I wouldn't say it's been effective. So we just kind of have to continue rethinking this and uh, seeing what else we can do. Tyler, what do you think? Raphael got it. You hit it on the head. The problem, per se, isn't that licensing is bad. It's just that it doesn't matter if it's not enforced correctly. If, if you restrict it to an agency that's understaffed and underfunded, how do you expect them to enforce the laws that are on the books? So, I mean, that's the trouble they run into in California. I think that's the trouble that they ran into in Tennessee, which is why they repealed it. Locksmith licensing, I guess, is kind of like communism. It, it, it sounds good on paper, but real world application mm-hmm. doesn't really shake out. I think you're you're correct because you're basically dealing with two parts of government. You're dealing with the legislators who think it's a great idea and put it into practice because they know they could make money on the licensing. But the enforcement is the other side of it where they have nothing to do with it except enforce it. And that's a whole different area. They may not even have been aware that this was going to be happening. And do they have the staff and the funding to do it? So until those issues are resolved, it might not be as effective, even though it could be a good thing, so to speak. Well, one last thing before we let the young guns ride off in the sunset to the strains of a Bon Jovi tune. Make your best argument to join, rejoin, or renew your membership in ALOA and its divisions and get involved. Adrian? Invest in yourself. Take the opportunity to get to know others in the industry, be a part of the next generation, right? If you're interested in, in, in learning about what we do, Aloha is a great place to start. I mean, gosh, for what, 25 bucks a month, you're a part of a, of a great organization that uh, has some of the best education educators out there. And we're bringing a lot of new stuff out. If you're an old member that would like to renew, Things are changing. We're looking, you know, we're looking to the future um, and we're looking to, to find new ways to, to reach out to, to those that have been in the industry and were a part of the organization and would like to come back. Like I said, invest yourself. I, you can't, you really, you really can't go wrong. What do you have to lose? Good point. Very good. Raphael? There's a lot of people who used to be locksmiths, right? And that's more relevant today than it was 30, 50, you know, 40 years ago, right? Like I mentioned earlier, my uncle was, uh, was a locksmith. And when transponders, uh, you know, started, uh, I think that's when he stopped doing, you know, automotive locksmith. Right? The same thing is going to happen to everything else. I mean, you know, we have access control now, right? I, got, I had to get my electrical contractor's license if I wanted to continue to do heavy commercial work. And the classes that I took at Aloha were very beneficial to understanding that because it wasn't just learning electronics. It was learning access control for the locksmith. It was very specific to the industry. Uh, and, and Aloha is, is a great organization, but it's is a very well-ran organization. Uh, it, it's, it's, I've, I've seen you know, other uh, institutions and or, uh, associations uh, some smaller ones that can be very disorganized, of course, because they don't have the infrastructure and manpower that Aloha has. But again, that's why you should be with Aloha uh, because they're gonna they're gonna put on the great shows. They're gonna bring a lot of great vendors, and they're gonna continue to be forward thinkers. Um, you know, with with the automotive um, uh, the automotive association now, right? That that's a that's a big one. I think that you know that's gonna help your organization continue to grow and maintain on, you know, on top of things. Because the technology is not going to slow down. If anything, is going to get faster. So being mm-hmm. educated and staying on top of things is more important than ever. And Tyler. Mark Dawson always says, I don't see how you can afford not to be a member. And I think that rings true. When I started back in 07, I made 
$7 and 25 cents an hour. I worked 24 hours a week and fast forward. Now I own a successful company and and just, there's no way it would have ever been possible without Aloha. We subcontract, well, we have accounts in about nine states now that we subcontract to about 200 other locksmiths. Every one of them is a member of Aloha. We won't, we don't do business unless you're a member of Aloha. So maybe those 200 other companies don't know it, but they wouldn't get our business if they weren't a member of Aloha. And, and that's all been facilitated through the Aloha conventions, meeting these people, interfacing with them. You know, the Mark Dawson's of the world, the Joshua Sands, all of these people that we do work with on a daily basis and send work to that, that starts from Aloha. And it, you just, you can't put a price tag on it, but the networking is second to none. And I, I look forward to the convention every year on the show floor, I've made deals with distribution to save our company money and direct buying situations, stuff like that. But just meeting everybody at the kickoff party, hanging out, catching up and, and meeting new friends that, that that's the, it's worth the $270 I pay for. I, I it, it's, it's more than been paid for. I can be a life member now and, and I'm set for, for life, but uh, I'm going to keep making, relationships and networking and, and, and really getting the most out of the membership. Wow. What a fun podcast. Thank you so much guys for your time and insight. And I think the future of this industry is obviously in great hands. And thank you for listening to locksmith talk with Aloha as your podcast host, William Link until next time, stay well. <laughs>